Long before God showed me I was to be a minister, I read a section of scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 concerning the gathering of the church, what we are to do when we gather as the church. It really shocked me because I have never seen this done in the main meeting of the church, the 11 o'clock meeting on Sunday of the church. I've never seen this done. Later, God explained some parts of this scripture to me. First, let's just start with the scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Paul says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. We were not supposed to be fed a package of pre-arranged information by a few ministers. We were not supposed to have that type of meeting. Paul says, every one of you hath a psalm, which is, by the way, the psalms are prayers, prayers of David, mostly. Every one of you hath a psalm or a prayer, hath a doctrine, hath a teaching, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. The closest I've ever seen to that was on a Wednesday night. I went to a church service on a Wednesday night. Everybody just gathered in the auditorium, church auditorium, and pastor said, you're free to share anything that you have from God, a testimony, or any word that you have from God. And one by one, the individual shared what God had done to help them, what God had done to comfort them. A scripture. That's the closest I've ever seen to what Paul said we were supposed to do when we came together as the church. Then he begins to give specific instructions. Verse 27, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course in order, and let one interpret. When I attended Word of Faith Church in Dallas, in the early 1980s, 
we would often have some individual stand and speak to us a message in tongues, and then he would give the interpretation. It's very important that the person be able to interpret those tongues or there be a known interpreter in the church. Since basically none of us have ever seen a gathering of the church done like this, it's a little difficult to know what to do. But one thing I would say is that you would not have a tongue without an interpretation. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. If there's no interpreter, you should not be giving a tongue. 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 29, Paul tells what the prophets do. Let the prophets speak, two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. Now here's a very important point also. Verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. God doesn't take over our body and make us speak something and We have no control over whether we speak or not. That would be confusion and chaos. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, and we speak in an orderly way in the church. In our Bible class before the main church service, our teacher always made way for the Holy Spirit to speak through whom God will. Our teacher never once failed to do this. He would say, does anyone have a word from the Lord? If we had a word to speak to the group, we would raise our hand and he would call on us in an orderly way, one by one. But he never failed to make way for spiritual gifts to be given, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, visions, if we had an, I had open visions all the time given to me. God first taught me to do this in a prayer group. It was a local prayer group. We would pray for someone. But one day, 
God said to me, while the women were praying for someone, God said to me, look up. I opened my eyes and looked up, and on a solid wall, I saw the outline of a body part. It was as if someone took a black marxalot and drew it on the wall. I said to God, I know that's a body part, but I don't know which one. And I clearly heard in my mind, stomach. And I said, oh, yes. It's like those old Pepto-Bismol commercials. While they're praying, I'm talking to God. After they quit praying, I gathered enough courage to say, does anyone have a stomach problem? And one little woman said, oh, I do, I do. And she began jumping up and down. I was so excited over God teaching me about these open visions this way, showing me that he was going to use this through me. I was so excited. I don't remember whether they prayed for or not. I was just so excited. But after that, I would go to this singles class at church. The man who taught the class always led singing, and during singing, I would almost invariably receive an open vision or more. One time after I went on radio, this man... Our Bible teacher invited me to speak to his Tuesday night Bible class. As he was leading this singing, I started receiving open visions, and they came so fast. I had to grab a pencil and a piece of paper and just jot them down because I was afraid I'd forget them. There were 24 open visions given to me that night. I don't remember speaking anything to that class except open visions, telling them someone has this kind of problem and having a word of knowledge for them on the problem. And sometimes it would be healing. And it was 24 that God had given me, and I had to use the list and go down the list and call forth each open vision I'd had. I've had many open visions since then. A young man who was a friend of mine, he was 44 years old, had a wife, two children, teenage children. He was diagnosed with the disease ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, where you go paralyzed inch by inch all over your body until you are totally paralyzed. Then you die. Well, David was a very good friend of mine. He lived in another part of the state across in East Texas. I lived in West Texas, 600 miles from where he and his family lived. I met him the week they diagnosed him with ALS disease. 
I was horrified. One of my bridge partners, I, I was playing bridge at that time, one of my bridge partners who was 74 years old was diagnosed with that disease, became paralyzed and died. Usually the disease hits younger men, but occasionally it will hit an older woman. There's no cure, at least by man, for the disease. Of course, when David told me he had the disease, I prayed he would be healed. I, I hoped he would be healed. God gave me an open vision of David. He had, in real life, played golf. I saw David on a golf course, and when he saw me, he jumped up and down and waved his hands like, Come on, join me, join me. It's great here. I knew David was going to die. One of their church members came to the city where I lived and talked to me, and I told him the vision. And Clay said, don't you think that means David is going to be healed? And I said, no, Clay, David is going to die. But his spiritual condition is fine. There's no problem. I wrote to David's wife and children, and I suggested they read this at David's funeral to the congregation, this vision that I had had of David being totally whole. At that time, he was totally paralyzed. That vision I had, he was totally whole. He was on a golf course playing golf, and when he saw me, he jumped up and down, waved for me to come and join him. And he said, it's great here. I knew David was going to die. I've had many open visions. I had an open vision of Pam Paget when they diagnosed her with cancer. I saw this blob and mass of stuff in the corner of the ceiling. It was kind of a mushy type stuff. And all of a sudden there was a swooshing sound. And it just fell in on itself and totally disappeared. After the weeks of chemotherapy and radiation, they had her come in for test. The doctor who performed the test said to Pam, now, if, if there's still cancer there, don't worry, we can do some other treatments. He was preparing her for there to be cancer. He said, we can do some other treatments. When he looked inside her body, he said, this is great. This is great. It was totally gone. And every subsequent test she had, the cancer was non-existent. 
It was just like the vision I saw where it just left. There wasn't any. I had another open vision. A woman in our church group, her husband had two small strokes. And he also had kidney stones at the same time, and they had him in a hospital. That's supposed to be terribly painful. They had planned to move to another part of the state where they lived and move into the condo that belonged to their 51-year-old son. I thought it was a good thing to do and rejoiced because she would have some help. Her daughter also lives in that same town. And their house where they live, it's got stairs in three levels. It just seemed like it would be impossible for them to continue to live alone in that house. So I thought it would be a good thing for her to move there. I was wrong. God gave me an open vision. I saw this woman, and she was being swallowed whole, sort of like Jonah, by a giant prehistoric-type-looking snake. It wasn't chewing her. It was swallowing her whole. And the only thing I saw of her was her feet were sticking out of the mouth of the snake. I knew it was her. And I knew the interpretation. She would be eaten alive, swallowed whole, if she moved to her son's condominium. No one is a Christian in that situation. Her husband is not. Her son is not. Her daughter is not. Her son-in-law is not. And her granddaughter is not. She was going to be eaten alive by unbelievers speaking worldly things if she moved to that location. I told her the vision. After I told her, she decided she didn't want to move there. And she told her husband, said, I don't want to move to my son's house. He was all right with not moving. They did not move. Months later, they're still living in that house with all those stairs. And they're doing fine, continuing in that house. But she would have been swallowed alive by the worldly talk had she moved. So this is the kind of open visions that God has given me. And I've had them ever since that prayer group. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You don't interrupt the pastor. You don't interrupt anything. When there is a person like our Bible teacher, 
He's going to give an invitation, making way for you to present things of God, whether it be a vision like I have in the service. God has never given me an open vision in all these years in the 11 o'clock service. They don't make way for you in the 11 o'clock service to present spiritual gifts of God in the churches I've been in. God has never put me in the position of having an open vision when the person in authority of the meeting was not going to invite you to give a word from the Lord. The Bible class teacher always made way for spiritual gifts and words from God to come through the class. I've never heard it done in any of the main service that I have been in in the church. There should be orderly way made for the church to participate to give open visions. It says, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So there will be an invitation. But you don't interrupt the church service. That would be out of order completely. I visited a church one time where the pastor was teaching the Sunday school class. All of a sudden, a woman jumped up and waved her hands in the air and said, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Everybody got excited except for me. I felt it was out of order. And she began running around the room, interrupted the pastor who was giving a lesson, a Bible lesson, interrupted him. She began running around the room. People were real excited, and they were shouting, and it was total chaos and confusion. 1 Corinthians 14 tells me God is not the author of confusion. These things of word of knowledge, of tongues, of revelation, they're orderly. They're someone's in charge and invites the congregation to give a word from the Lord or a prayer, a psalm, which is a prayer, or a revelation or a doctrine. But they are invited. They, are, they don't take over and stop the pastor. That's out of order. After I got to my car that day, now I wasn't in charge of that meeting or I would have stopped that woman. I went to the car and I said to God, I know this can't be the Spirit of God that interrupted the church service as that woman did. And I had a scripture called to my attention. 
Let all things be done decently and in order, which confirmed that this woman was out of order and should have been stopped. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, Paul says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. I had read that scripture before God revealed to me that I was to be a minister. I had no idea that I was to be a minister after I was born again. I was taken into heaven twice after I was born again. God caused me to be born again by speaking a word to me at night while I was in my bedroom. I was awake and I heard in my mind, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. I was shocked. I gasped. I said, sins? I thought they were mistakes. Instantly, I was born again. If you had asked me prior to that, are you a Christian? I would have said yes. I've been baptized. It was at my aunt's church, a church of Christ, the first time I was baptized. I was about 15 years old. I went forward on invitation of the pastor. They call them ministers in Church of Christ. I'm not quite sure why, but a pastor is a totally legitimate biblical term Ephesians chapter 4, after Jesus arose, he gave to the church, New Testament church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 4. But for some reason, the church of Christ teaches there are no pastors and you're not supposed to use that name and they teach, or at least they did in the 50s, they teach that they're to be called ministers. Pastor is a term God used to describe ministers, one of the ministry offices, Ephesians chapter 4. Back to 1 Corinthians 14. I said to God, as soon as he revealed I was to be a minister, I said to him, what about that statement Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 14 to let your women keep silence in the church, for it's not permitted unto them to speak? God said to me, look what those women were doing. I went back to 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 to see what those women were doing. 
Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. It seemed to me like these women were interrupting the gathering of the church by asking questions. You have to remember that at the time Paul wrote this, they met in homes, not church buildings. It would be so easy for a woman to interrupt the gathering of the church asking questions, and Paul indicated in verse 35 that's what they were doing. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. I thought it was a shame for this woman in that church I visited to jump up and interrupt the pastor and run around the room saying, praise the Lord. And they thought it was the Holy Spirit. It couldn't have been the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't take over our body and make us do something. He gives us a word. And at the right time in a church service, if there's opportunity given, we present that word. That would be an order. When God said this to me, he also shared three examples with me. Luke chapter 2, there is a woman named Anna. God shared that passage of scripture with me by reminding me of her. I went to it and read about it. Luke chapter 2, concerning Anna, verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child Jesus, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. Eighty-four years was her age, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of Jesus to all them 
that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This is an example of a woman who was a prophet. In Ezekiel 33, God explains prophets are sent to the church to speak, not to the world. Then God took me to a passage of scripture in Acts 21. Philip the evangelist had four daughters who did prophesy. Prophecy is for the church. These daughters would have had to speak in the church to prophesy. Acts 21, verse 8 and 9. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. One time I was sharing this scripture with a Baptist woman, and she said, maybe prophets have to be virgins. And I said, oh no, Anna was a prophet. Anna was a prophetess, a widow of several years. So that's not right. When you speak of Scripture, you compare Scripture with Scripture before you set forth your doctrine. This Baptist woman did not do that, or she would have seen, no, there were women who were prophets in the Bible who were married and some who were virgins. Now, the third example God took me to is such a remarkable example. It's of Deborah in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4, verse 3. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for the king had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. She judged Israel. That's similar to an apostle. But she's identified in the Bible as a prophetess. One of the things apostles do Acts 15, is they judge doctrine. They have an anointing to keep doctrine straight and set it straight in the New Testament church. But Deborah was a prophetess in the Old Testament, and she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak and said unto him, now he was a captain of Israel, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded 
saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun. And God said to you, I will draw unto the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said to her, If thou wilt go with me, I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee. This was a woman, a married woman, who agreed to go with the captain of the army of Israel to fight a battle. Now these three sets of scripture persuaded me that I would be a minister and do what God wanted. The work that I did was first on radio. God had an angel of the Lord speak to me the night of January 10th, 1980. And that angel, I didn't see an angel, I just heard his voice while I was asleep. This very loud trumpet-like voice spoke in my ear. I awoke, and he said, Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I quickly wrote on a notepad by my bed the words KWJS. I did not want to get those letters mixed up because I really felt they had to be call letters to either radio or television. When I looked it up, it was a radio station. And I said to God, Are you telling me to go on radio? I'm a writer, not a speaker. I wouldn't know how to do that. And instantly I heard, Call the radio station manager. Immediately, as soon as the station opened, I called and asked to speak to the radio station manager. I said to him, God might be showing me to go on radio. How would you do that? He said, make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long. Send it to me, and if you fit our broadcasting, we'll offer you a contract. It was radio station KWJS that God had given me call letters for that I called. As soon as I finished talking to the radio station manager, I got my kitchen timer and my tape recorder, cassette tape recorder. I set it for 29 and a half minutes, the timer. I said, this is Dr. Joan Boney speaking, and I began talking. There was no music. There was nothing but me exhorting the church. 
I mailed it that same morning, no editing. I don't even know how to edit a tape. I mailed it that same morning to the radio station manager of KWJS. Within five days, I was exhorting the church at the noontime hour on radio station KWJS. A woman in Fort Worth named Lily McBride had listened to that hour at noontime for a long time. One of the ministers somehow quit, died, or something, and that space from 12 o'clock to 12.30 was open. Lily was praying for God to put a faith teacher at that space. One day, she turned on the radio. She was sitting across the room from the radio when the 12 o'clock time came on and she heard a woman speaking. And she said, oh, no, oh, no, Lord, not a woman. And she got up and raced over to the radio to turn it off. But before she could get it turned off, she got interested in the message I was speaking. She became a longtime radio audience of my broadcast. And we became friends. She lived across the street from Vanetta Copeland and didn't know who she was. Kenneth Copeland's mother. Vanetta, Kenneth's mother, and Lily and I became good friends. They came to every meeting that I had in the Dallas area, and they were at the plane to meet me when I came back from Europe after ministering over there for one month in the year 1980. A vice president of Braniff Airlines was permitted for the first time ever to give tickets to friends. And she came to me and gave me two tickets to Europe, round-trip tickets on Braniff. I invited a woman from our church who she and her husband had ministered in Europe for years. I invited Imogene to go with me and do the singing. She was a wonderful operatic soprano, coloratura soprano, and they loved her in Europe. Imogene had connections all over Europe. We went to Paris first, and I spoke at the home of this very wealthy man in Paris who owned a plumbing company and provided an apartment for he called them missionaries. Any missionary over there could reserve the apartment and have a vacation in Paris, and he would stock the apartment refrigerator with food. Well, when we got to Paris, he met us at the plane, took us to this apartment in Paris that was had all this food in it, 
And we stayed there for the entire time we were in Paris, which I think was a week. And then we went off to Switzerland. And she had contacts in France of evangelist friends. And we spoke at home churches all over Europe, in Paris, in France, in Switzerland, in Germany. I spoke for a week at Wolfenbüttel, Germany, at the European branch of Christ for, Na for the Nations. Then we went to Brussels, and I spoke there in Imogene Sang in a home church. And then we came back to Dallas, where we lived. But this is what God did and showed me about women speaking in the church. Further, God instructed me, you're not to just speak to women. You speak to men, too. So I did, and still do in the form of blog, podcast, and books published on Amazon. And I've been doing this since January 1980, when that angel, I believe, angel of the Lord, delivered the message to me of three words. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS, within a year, I was on radio in 1980-81 from Hartford, Seattle, and KWJS from New York City to Seattle and cities in between New York City and Seattle. That's how God put me into the ministry, called as an apostle prophet. It's not so strange to be an apostle. It just means God gives you insight to Scripture. And you're supposed to share it with the church, which I have done since January 1980 on radio, blog, books, and podcasts. God gave me a dream showing me to do blog. We looked it up, and Pam Paget figured out how we could publish on a blog, and I began publishing three days after that dream, telling me to publish a blog. And then books came to my attention on Amazon. And then God gave me a dream in February 2020 to start a podcast, which we did. This is how God got me to do what I do. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you.